1: Welcome to Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. I am your host, JP John Posner, the two-man power trip of wrestling. And of course, joining me is the eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, the former WWE World Tag Team Champion, one of the greatest trainers ever in the history of the professional wrestling business, the doctor of desire, Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great today, John. It's been a great day here in Knoxville, Tennessee, but every day in Knoxville, Tennessee is a great day, just so you know. But yeah, doing great. Does it ever get really cold in Knoxville or not really? Well, it does get cold, but we've been having some really nice weather here. 70 70 degrees today with a nice little breeze going, so uh, yeah. Yeah, and I talked to Steve Kern earlier today as well, and he was uh, telling me it's getting close to 90 in Florida. So, yeah, we're having a nice nice weather here in Knoxville.
1: Wow, Florida usually, May is usually when it starts to heat up a bit. Wow, April already heating up for him. Nice. Yeah, yeah, so
0: he said it was really nice down there too, and I'm a a hot weather guy.
1: Do you talk to Steve Kern a lot?
0: No, no, as a matter of fact, I don't, but uh, today we did a... Uh, zoom call with some special students of ours who just went in the hall of fame and they wanted to talk to us, the Bella twins. And they had Steve and me on the zoom call. And we, we before the bellows came on, uh, Steve and I had a nice little conversation and talking about the weather, which you can always talk about. And he was telling me how hot it was there, and I was telling him how hot it was here with a nice little breeze going on. So, been a while since I talked to Steve,
1: the hall of fame. Which, I guess, technically speaking, as the recording, was last night. They had the 2021 and the 2020 inductees. You were kind of uh, involved with a lot of other people that were inducted. The Bella Twins, first and foremost. Are you surprised at all that they're Hall of Famers? Or you can't expect that? Because they're still pretty uh, damn young. I don't even think they're 40 years old yet, are they? No, they're,
0: they, they said they're 37. They're, they're getting oh, ready. They told us today they're 37. They came to us when they were 23. So that's been a while, and and uh, quite honestly, yeah, I, w- I was pleasantly surprised. Steve was, Steve said it today too. We were both pleasantly surprised with their success, happy for their success, proud of their success. We're proud of everybody that came through there and made a success uh, uh, in the business. Natty Neidhart, who who actually came from a wrestling family, obviously, but. Um, to Drew McIntyre and Seamus and, uh, all the people that came through FCW. Dolph Ziggler was an FCW alumni. So, uh, yeah, we're always happy when, when guys and gals go into the hall of fame and, uh, uh, exceed expectations and the bellows, my gosh, man, not only did they exceed expectations for us, but in the wrestling business, they went under reality TV and, uh, uh, they even kind of mentioned today, you know, here it is, all these years later, and John Laurinaitis is their uh, stepdad, and and how weird does that turn into? And and you know, it it's uh, it's how life kind of plays out, and uh, you never know what's going to happen. And uh, kind of brought back memories today. We we talked about the first time we saw uh, the Bellows show up at the batting practice place that we were using as a temporary facility uh, while we were getting our place uh, ready and all that good stuff at FCW. and we, we we didn't know what to do with them we looked Steve and I both looked at each other at the same time and says, what are we supposed to do with these girls? and uh, the the great thing about it is they applied themselves and went through the hot and cold times in Tampa because we didn't have. Uh, in the beginning we certainly didn't have heat we definitely didn't have air conditioning in, in florida so not not in our facility and uh, it was just this big warehouse with with cans and stuff in it and they made our uh our practice facility in it and uh uh you know they they, they were they were proud Uh, to pay the dues and and go through the hard times and and put a little sweat into it and and get your hands dirty and and go through the process. And uh, it wasn't as sterile as I believe it is today. So yeah, it was, it was very cool talking and catching up with the fellas and uh, seeing what they thought about the whole thing. So
1: Their rise to stardom, like you said, it was very shocking because you just like, oh, who are these really pretty model type girls? Like, oh, they're not going to be wrestlers. They got this twin gimmick thing going. Like, who are they? It's just interesting to me that they became big stars and even bigger, like you said, reality TV and stuff. Yeah. And and that's
0: the great thing about the business. Uh, And it's also the great thing about seeing people that, uh, uh, that we might not necessarily see as making it or uh, wanting a ride and just kind of cruise through things and the drills and, and, and practices. But that was not the case with the Bell twins. And um, that wasn't the case with most of the people that came through there who really busted their butts and worked hard and made an effort to uh, get better and improve on everything they did every day. So uh, we are, we're very happy and proud of anybody that came through there and, and cut their teeth with us uh, from the very beginning and then going on to the main roster or not, not only WWE, but other places too. And uh, becoming a success and staying a success. The hardest, the hard part is sustaining that success throughout and the bellows have uh, not only done that, but they, they've gone to other, uh, gone down other avenues and other paths to, to get their brand out there, so more power to them.
1: Brie obviously married to Daniel Bryan, who's one of the biggest stars of probably the last ten years or so. Nikki was engaged to John Cena, probably the biggest star of the last ten years or so. And then, like you mentioned, their mother is married to the greatest wrestler of all time, Johnny Ace. Right? Uh,
0: yes, the <laughs> the greatest wrestler of all
1: time. And then, you know, I i, I said that about the Ultimate Warrior, so yes. sure, why not say that about John?
0: And uh but but John is certainly. Uh, one of the greatest (laughs) front office guys of all time. And I say that with all due respect, because to stay in there that long, man, you got to be doing something right or, or at least doing, doing it their way. And, and that's certainly what John was all about.
1: Top guy at all Japan, top guy at WCW towards the end and then top guy at WB for about 20 years. So yeah, impressive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's a couple people like that in that
1: organization. Now another guy went into the Hall of Fame, the headliner, Kane, Glenn Jacobs. No shocker there. Great headliner as well. Well, well yeah. deserved. Yeah,
0: very happy for him too. Uh, already sent him congratulations on on the first day we heard it, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a great thing. And everybody, everybody who's inducted, and I think I'd go on to say anybody who's inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame should be proud and. Uh, happy about the fact they're being recognized and no matter what you think about wwe or or what they've done or what they do it's still the leader it's still the most recognizable it's still synonymous i think when the average or casual fan thinks of wrestling it's automatically vince mcmahon hulk hogan uh or for the later Attitude Era fans, you know the Stone Colds and the and the Rocks and and Mankind and Triple H's and NWO and things like that. So uh, WWE uh, isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but nothing is. Nobody is. Uh, but they are still the major league when people think about wrestling. In my opinion.
1: Another one of your guys, just throw him out there, the great Khali, also inducted into the Hall of Fame.
0: Well, I got to tell
1: you, uh, I I met the great Khali in
0: Georgia, and that was when I was put down there to take over uh, the first time. And he was a nice enough guy, just was – the thing we had to realize is when you're seven foot tall um, – you do make rules that apply to them that might not apply to everybody else and vice versa. So while he might need work on some things, other people need work on other things. And uh, that was that was part of the reason or not not the reason, but but that was in that category of things that me, we need to take care of in Georgia. At that time, let's let's take care of our guys who need to be uh, ha- have certain drills addressed. And then you have other people who uh, this drill or this action will apply to. And, and when you have uh, exceptional talent with exceptional height or exceptional height, however that word is, who, who are bigger than others and who, who are going to be uh, portrayed and, and presented. in in a different manner, then let's, let's uh, uh, take a special look at how they're being trained and developed. And that was, uh, yeah, I I always got along with Khalid too. And he, uh, instead of having him run, you know, 10 miles a day, we were working on his in-ring development a little bit more and and focusing on that because, uh, you know, you can't teach seven foot, you really can't, but you can teach him what to do how to do it when they get in the ring so I always got a lot on what did.
1: was was he really like seven two because he looks bigger than the big show like if you look at him side by side he seems a little bit taller
0: might have been he might have been seven one seven two something like that he, he was certainly uh certainly impressive looking no doubt about it and uh uh not to, not gonna ever be a technical wizard and that's not what he was there for he was there to be seven foot tall he was there to be uh a spectacle and and why not?
1: He was in the right place. Definitely, for sure. Yeah. Monster, monster of a man. Another guy I was shocked to see go in the Hall of Fame, just because I know Vince had a somewhat of a relationship with him, but he, you know, took over his territory, I guess, so to speak. But Paul Bosch, you know, your your good old friend, your good old buddy, Paul Bosch <laughs> was into the legacy wing of the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, well, of course, Paul Bosch was, was the man who broke me in, broke Bruce in, uh, you know, gave us an opportunity. If Without Paul Bosch, we wouldn't be here today, neither one of us, uh, speaking of Bruce and myself. But um, I, I think eventually, when the time is right, everybody who – not everybody, but most of the people – who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, are going to get there. I believe Ivan Koloff deserves certainly to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's been an argument uh, that's gone on for years and years. And I agree. Um, I agree that Lex Luger and the Midnight Express, Jim Cornette, those guys should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, But Paul Bosch is one of those pioneers. And uh, as I got in the business and learned more and more about Paul, and Morris Siegel, and the Texas Territory, and the history that went along with it, it fascinated me because uh, uh, they were a major player uh, in, in the NWA. They were a major player in forming um, the business during that territory uh, era and during those days, and Paul certainly deserved uh, to be in the uh, Hall of Fame, be recognized. The Legacy wing, not so bad. I mean, uh, at least he's there, and you look up the name Paul Bosch, it he'll forever have it uh, have that stamped by it now. So it's a good thing.
1: And he's the reason why Bruce has that podcast name, Something to Wrestle.
0: Well, it is, yeah. Yeah, it is. Again, you know, we all when, – when we both worked in the office, and even when he, he would uh, – <laughs> prior to working in the office, we used to send mail to the office, and Paul's deal was this – if you ever sent a letter to his office, he made sure he read every single one of them. And I know that uh, because I would get the mail and I would be the one taking the mail back to him in his office. And then he would hand it back to me, the mail that he needed to uh, send out. And he would answer. This was, this was admirable uh, because he would hand write or type uh, personally responses back to fans uh, who would send in. Letters, and I thought that was so cool. We we would write letters when we first got there. We moved from El Paso, and he would send postcards back or typed letters back, and um, so he would always have something to wrestle with from Paul Bosch. Hmm. So yeah, that that Bruce uh, certainly took that and made it his own. Yeah, so living a nice tribute to Paul Bosch, and always will be.
1: And I know you still have some of those uh, those papers, right? Yeah, sure did. Sure nice. did. Cool. Yeah, pretty damn cool. Love that wrestling history right there. Literally wrestling history. A lot of wrestling history. So as far as the Hall of Fame is concerned, pretty cool. Some of the guys that go in and get recognized, you know, obviously Bischoff, the NWO, stuff like that. But I had a, a good friend of mine ask me about somebody that's is a Hall of Famer and should be mentioned as such but sherry martell and talking about how you kind of had a bit of an influence on her very early on in her career you and pat rose and the original heavenly bodies so as far as sherry did you help train her and stuff i know you were saying that she kind of helped you in a few ways as well as far as maybe some nicknames
0: right right now let me just clarify to you pat and i were not necessarily the original heavenly bodies i think don and al green were the Right, uh, right right But for the modern era, I guess yeah. We uh, Dundee took us into uh, Memphis uh, when we uh, both—I believe Pat and I were both in uh, mid-South on uh, on the tail end of Bill Dundee's uh, booking run. He brought us in. So when he was leaving, he said, "I want to take you guys to Memphis with me and uh, put you together as a team." Of course, uh, once again, Memphis was Memphis, and it's always had this. bit about it there's this this aura about memphis wrestling it wasn't uh wasn't a very popular territory with a lot of people and and for various reasons but going in with dundee uh he put pat and i together and, and put sherry martell with us as our manager and what a great lady she was tough as nails but nice as could be um understood the business, was was considered one of the boys, and uh, always respected by the guys because she came in and didn't expect any shortcuts, didn't expect uh, to be treated any differently, and was, was just a down-to-earth, very nice person, and we, we worked well together. I thought uh, Pat and, and Sherry and myself, we worked well together as a team. And, uh, you know, Pat and I, again, look, look, I take all responsibility for being the, uh, the odd ball out. Pat and I were two different people. You know, Jimmy Del Ray and myself are two different people. Stan and I were two different people. We just got along uh, in a different way. You know, I, I, I could be around Stan and, and we could coexist in an establishment a little better than I could with other people, I guess. But going back to Sherry, in memphis um i would usually ride with sherry and pat would ride with somebody else and and that's just the way it worked and sometimes we'd ride together but for the most part sharing myself uh, as a team and um here's a story uh about sherry martell i, I was we were working in memphis or louisville kentucky pat myself uh, against the fabulous ones, steve kern and stan lane Um, and of course, Sherry's at ringside, but somewhere in the match, uh, Stan came over and nailed me off the apron. And when I fell on the floor, my ankle, I went down on my feet, but my ankle, my right ankle just snapped and people on the front row, I'll never forget this. They went, Ooh, it's kind of like one of those things you could see it and I could feel it. But I only thought at that time I had sprained my ankle. So we finished the match, uh, and and went ahead, and I had to be in there for the finish. Uh, supposed to Pat's gonna hold stand for a, a super kick, and I he moves, and I hit Pat with it, and did it the best I could. Uh, the end of the match, and I'm hobbling back to the locker room in Louisville. They had two flights of stairs going down to the dressing room, so I'm I'm hopping. And I'm, I just think it's sprained. And I get to the to the dressing room and uh, sit down for a little bit. And I rode with Billy Travis, Taurus Bla, and Will Cooley to the town. So I'm going to ride back with them. And uh, took my shower and hobbled back up the two flights of stairs, grabbed my bags, and we're, we're going to the uh, car. And we stop and get beer and and to medicate and whatever we had to do that night. So this is a Tuesday night in we'll, I've got to work Wednesday night, Evansville, Thursday night, a spot show, Friday night, a spot show down by Memphis. We have to do Memphis TV Saturday morning, Nashville Saturday night. Sunday, I believe we were off Monday. We go back to Memphis. Now, by this time, each night that I'm working, I'm having somebody uh, tape up my ankle and I'm barely lacing my boot. Every every night, my ankle is getting more and more black. And, it, and it's, by the time we get back to Louisville next Tuesday, uh, my foot is completely black. And as I'm getting someone, I can't, I can't remember who it was taping my ankle. Uh, we Louisville had different dressing rooms. I had two big team dressing rooms and individual dressing rooms in a big open space. So I'm in one of the smaller dressing rooms getting this whoever it was to tape up my ankle. Dundee actually walked in, looked at it, says, "Hey, mate, you might want to get that taken care of. You might want to get that looked at." My foot was completely black and I, I didn't even, didn't. I'm still thinking it's just sprained because back in those days, if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. Yep. There were no guaranteed contracts. Uh, so Sherry happened to be in the, the same vicinity and walked in the room and she said, I'm going to come by tomorrow and pick you up. Uh, I was staying in a hotel in the days in, in Nashville with Wendell Cooley, Taurus Bulba, and Billy Travis. So you have four stinking wrestlers in one room, and she said, I'm going to come by and get you tomorrow. Her roommate was a nurse, Tina, because I'm going to take you to the hospital. Won't be any charge. Tina's going to get an x-ray. Won't be any charge. We're going to get your foot looked at. So she, Sherry came by the next morning, uh, 8 o'clock, took me to the hospital. As soon as they saw the x-ray, said, yeah, you broke your ankle. I thought, oh. Now I'm screwed. Well, anyway, they put my ankle right in the cast right then. Uh, Sherry took me back. She goes, you're going to get your stuff out of the hotel. Come stay with Tina and me. I thought, I can't do that. She says, yeah, going to get your stuff. Going to come with us. Okay, we'll take care of you. I thought, well, (laughs) but I went. I went over to Sherry and Tina's, and uh, they, Sherry or Tina Gave me doctor scrubs to wear, you know, to loosen the the with the cast and all that good stuff. And I have a picture somewhere of of me with the scrubs on and doing this, with my <laughs> foot up, you know, and, and just miserable. But yep. uh, you know, they 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 took care of me for like uh, I think a week and a half, two weeks. And then I realized, you know, I can't live off these guys. I've, I've got to do something. And, and I had my car in Nashville, had my dad drive from Houston with a friend of mine to, to help drive me back, you know, in Nashville. And, uh, you know, I, I had to go home and take six weeks off in Houston. In the meantime, uh, while I'm off, uh, Brad Armstrong calls me and asks me if I want to go to Pensacola. and I said, of course, when I get ready, I'm, I'm," you know, I called Brad, told him I broke my ankle anyway. He said, uh, didn't know if I was going to go back to Nashville or what my plans were. So would I be interested to go to Pensacola? Sure, I would. Beach, fun, friends. Yeah. So I healed up. I went to Pensacola. We had an angle with Tim Horner where I turned heel on him in Mid-South. They they showed the tape in Pensacola. We had an angle. We worked our angle. I think about six months go by, whatever it was, maybe three, four. Hell, time flies when you're having fun, I guess. And uh, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden have the angle with the Rich cousins. And uh, I I just recently found the match. It was actually Tommy Rich and Steve Armstrong against Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden. And uh, they go out, have this match. And this time, Robert and Jimmy have a a guy with him at ringside. And, uh, at the, for the finish of the match, they tie, they tape Tommy Rich's feet to the uh, rope. He's bloody. They beat the hell out of, uh, Steve Armstrong. And, uh, uh, you know, they beat the hell out of Steve. Here comes Calvary. They make the save and all three of these guys go to the interview platform where Gordon solely is. And Robert says, you saw what we did to those guys out here. We're going to, keep uh, putting them giving them making them a bloody mess every night we got our cut man right here dr. love just to make sure nothing happens to our pretty face and there's this guy right on TV with Jimmy and Robert and dr. love so it's a great angle great heat the next week they show the tape and it, and, it, and it's, it's fantastic Robert's booking at this time and he's really happy about the way things are going right after it's shown, uh, I think on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday night, the next morning, uh, Robert got a call from the FBI. This guy, Dr. Love, was on their top 10 most wanted list. Well, in Al- yeah, in Alabama. And they wanted to know where he was at, where they could find him, you know, because he was right there for God and everybody to see. So he says, Well, he's just one of those guys that comes in and, you know, does a uh, uh, job for us once in a while. He, he, They just show up periodically. We don't really know his name or know anything about it. So they, so they couldn't have Dr. Love come back with them. And we were on our way to Panama city for a show. And I'm wearing my doctor pants, my scrubs, just, just the pants. And Robert is talking on the way to Panama city about how, what's he going to do now? How he had let Joe go or Dr. Love. And, uh, Uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And we just talking back and forth. We stopped to get a drink at the store, got out of Robert's van. As we're going in, he looks at me, looks at my pants. He goes, well, hot damn boy, you could be our doctor. And that was how Dr. Tom was born. Thanks to Sherry Martell and her roommate, Tina, giving me those nice Dr. Scrubs and, uh, uh, the rest is history. And of course we thought all the way along the way to Panama city, of, of explanations why I'm not a doctor, you know I could have been a doctor. I just spent too much time at the pharmacy and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, um, without Sherry, uh, again, just being a great person overall, I don't know that we necessarily had uh, uh, a whole lot of influence on her back then. I mean, she rode with us, uh, rode with me, is more than more than Pat, uh, but we did ride together on occasions, and we had uh, a lot of fun. And uh, I always thought she was a great pro. And if anything, I think she she learned uh, when she really got to WWE and, and honed her craft even more. And I've seen her through the years, uh, I think right up until the time, about a year before she passed away. And she was the same uh, Sherry that I'd always known, just uh, down to earth and a great, great person. So if we had any influence on her, uh, well, then I hope she I hope she liked it.
1: We were watching WrestleMania seven the other night. It was Ultimate Warrior versus Randy Savage career versus career. She played such a big role in the match. She was great. She was bumping like crazy for Warrior. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm
0: saying. She she was one of the boys, and mm-hmm. uh, she didn't mind. She she loved the business. She was tough, but she was compassionate. She she, she was as nice as could be. Uh, <laughs> but don't get on her bad side. And we
1: didn't. It is crazy to see like Warrior does not take it easy on her at Warrior all. Warrior didn't take it easy on anybody. That's yeah, true. You know, that's
0: that's the thing. He, he just he, he didn't care. And I don't think um, at that time anybody else cared. They were just looking at him as what he was. And, and I think uh, uh, understood that when you're in there with him, you're taking your life in your hands.
1: He was uh, a little stiff, uh, you know, a little, a little snug out there sometime. Uh, yeah. Sure. I know Bobby Heenan had some problems with him. I know that.
0: I think that, yeah. And there were a lot of people that had problems with
1: him. You know, I, I remember Paul Bearer told me a couple
0: stories, uh, about warrior when he was working with Taker, you know, and, and, um, gosh, he, you know, Taker's a tough guy too, but, but, but he, but Warrior would go out in the ring and, uh. It was all about him, and and I think that's why he didn't have a whole lot of respect in the business at that time. I'm sure later on. I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he still has some bad taste, a bad taste in some people's mouths. But um, uh, what, what a, what a storyline life he led, and on the last night of Raw, you know, the, leaving his legacy like that. I mean, that that you can't write that. And uh, that, that's life. That's, that's a true story and true warrior fashion to get out there on your last night of, uh, uh, of your life. And, and he didn't look good during the Hall of Fame uh, right. that, that year either. He was sweating and, and it was obvious there was something going on, but certainly he didn't think it was that. It's, it's something that would lead to him passing away. What was it, three or four days later? Uh so two, two
1: days I think it was. Two days, yeah, two days, yeah so I mean yeah. it was pretty
0: it was pretty quick. It was like after Raw then he flew into wherever he flew into and passed away the next day, mm-hmm. right? So he delivered that that inspiring speech and inspiring words and and you know still tried to be the warrior and and uh it just there was something wrong in looking back on it of course I said it during the during the Hall of Fame. Said, There's something wrong with him, man. He's he's sweating and he's he he's he's not not that guy
1: that he used to be. But
0: none of us are. So
1: it was it was crazy. Now switching gears to the topic at hand for today's episode, we're gonna go back into your training days and talk about another guy that you trained, and that is the talk of the town right now, as far as AEW is concerned. That is Christian. When did you first meet Christian? Where did you first meet him? I'm guessing probably the same place you met Edge. Yeah,
0: it, it was in Stanford when we had the, uh, I believe it was the Funking Dojo. And, uh, for those weeks, Edge and Christian were there. Um, I'm trying to think who else, maybe our truth was even in that class. So that, that group of guys, I remember that that's where I first met truth. And, uh, uh, I liked him right off the bat. He was one of those guys that got it. He was one, one of those guys that uh, had already done some entertaining in his life. You know, he was a dancer, I think, with MC Hammer, one of the backup dancers for that, man. And and he he kind of uh, fit right in. And so did Christian and Edge. Uh, but they got their training, some earlier training with Ron Hutchison in Canada. And... Um, both both the guys had passion and it was it was a really really uh uh good thing to see they were young guys hungry and we, we were again i think just ecstatic uh that they were as good as they, they were at that level and they only got better and then when they became a part of the brood with gangrel i i don't think especially at that time you could have had a cooler entrance than they had i mean coming up from the stage and the music, the 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 ambiance, and the blood, and, and and just just the overall feel of it, uh, being a part of that crew, being part of the brood, I think is what really shot the shot Edge and Christian up there, as well as
1: Gangrel. What was the Funkin' Dojo like at that time? Hmm. <laughs> well, it was.
0: Uh, we we were we were still doing practice in the studio in Stanford, 120 Hamilton Avenue was was uh, you would walk in the lobby, go through a set of doors, and it was just a warehouse. But then they had the ring set up uh, right in the middle, and uh, we we did that I think for a few months until Dory worked out a deal with I guess Jr. and and. Uh, for the Funkin' Dojo, and they would fly in for a couple weeks. You'd do two weeks at a time. We would have – Dory would go back to Florida for two weeks and then come back in for two weeks, and I think that's the way they were doing it. But in between those times, I was staying in Stanford. I was uh, responsible for the time when we didn't have necessarily a set class of the Funkin' Dojo. We had other people trying out or working individually so that's how that worked i believe it was two weeks on with dory and then dory go back for two weeks and then come back and do another two weeks and uh, uh it was it we we they would bring anywhere from 10 to 15 people in for a tryout and i remember specifically one time they brought in uh the girls for a tryout i, I believe we had eight and and uh at that time michael michael haye's wife Lori, ex-wife now, uh, came in and actually did a tryout with with girls that had been wrestling for about uh, you know seven to eight years, and she got thrown right in the mix, you know, along with the uh, Miss Texas and I believe Bobcat was in that one, and uh, I can't I can't remember who all was there, but but I just remember that uh, I handled that one. Uh, I think it was a two week class by myself. And uh and and that was interesting. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So, you know, but but Dory would, would come and and uh he had his his setup, he had his uh uh drills and and we would we would kind of do that. Well not kinda we would do that for the two weeks. And uh then we also had uh house shows, uh live events up in Maryland, and I think up around the uh, gosh, I can't remember some of those shows, but Mike Sparta and his brother, Freddie Sparta, used to be referee and promoted some of those towns up there and put our talent on that. That's where I worked with uh, Kurt Angle, I had Kurt's very, very first match, not television, televised match. WWE. It was very... Huh?
1: Was it WWE? WWE? Yep.
0: Okay. Yeah. That that was the one that we uh, we'd go to. Test was in, uh, in about that time, too. He did some of the Funkin' Dojos with us. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It really was.
1: I feel like Vince McMahon wouldn't necessarily be a Dory funk guy.
0: Well, I I, I think Vince respected Dory. Um, and of course JR always respected Dory. I, I grew up watching Dory, I grew up watching mm-hmm. the Funks, man. So I mean that was uh that was mm-hmm. a no-brainer. But but I think for what we were doing and for what Vince um had in mind and i don't really even know if he knew what he had in mind at that specific point but he he knew he needed to do something because wcw had the power plant and he wwe or wwf had nothing at that time so dory funk was certainly well respected within the business and he had already been to uh wwf as hoss funk and uh, JR was head of talent relations at that time, and, and I believe it was it kind of fell in his lap. And Dory Funk Jr. was certainly one of the greatest NWA champions of all time for that era. I don't think you could have picked a better guy besides Dory or Jack Briscoe because it was that style, it was that uh, um, environment of having credibility and authenticity meant more back then than than it certainly does now and and it was a champion's job uh to go in and, and have an hour match with the local star and make the local star look like he was right on the verge of winning the championship if we just had a little more time and i remember seeing uh dory do our broadways our draws and 90 minute draws. The next, the next time, uh, you know, three weeks later, with with the same challenger, I think I saw Wahoo McDaniel and Dory Funk go 60 minutes, then come back and do 90 minutes, uh, then come back for the for the next match and have Dory slip by somehow, screw screw the champion or screw the challenger, and and saw the same thing with Johnny Valentine and Dory Funk. So, Vince knew the the type of performance and performer that dory was capable of being and uh as the nwa champion um that was that was the job of the champion to go in and and work for an hour you know every night and be able to elevate uh the top star of that territory and, and leave the territory even stronger hopefully and uh and Dory did it for four long years. And then yeah, Harley Race uh, uh, did it for a while, too. So, you know, it, uh, w- whether Vince was a Dory guy or not, I know Vince certainly respected uh, Dory Funk Jr. And I, and I don't think there was any question that he was qualified to, uh, to be a coach.
1: As far as Christian is concerned, did you think he was a little small when he first came in? You know, Edge is probably what, like six four or so, Christian, maybe six foot. He's a little bit skinny at that point. Did you think he was too small?
0: Well, I didn't know because I certainly was 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 a small guy, but I don't think he was too small, didn't think he was too small. Uh, I certainly saw charisma. I certainly saw ability. And it was one of those things that if if he was put in the right spot, um, and he was, then then he could excel. It wasn't until Edge and Christian formed their team and pretty much broke away, started working with the Dudleys and the Hardys that everybody saw what was evident uh, to to us who got to see him earlier, that they were a great team and they had a chemistry with each other. But I, I never considered Christian too small. He was six foot, and maybe he was skinnier. But at the same time, um, I think things were, were pretty much changing, and uh, the mindset wasn't geared necessarily towards uh, the Hogan's and and uh, the the Giants, the bigger guys. I mean, it was it was pretty much changing, and uh, they were part of that change. They were part of the transition.
1: When they are in there, are you guys kind of looking like, oh, hey, this guy Edge, you know, they're very, very similar, but like, okay, this guy Edge is going to make it. This guy Christian, we're not sure of. Or are you like, okay, both these guys are easily going to make it, and they're both going to be TV ready.
0: You know, I don't know that that we ever said somebody was easily going to make it, and we were definitely sure about this guy because uh, you're not, you're, you're never, um, I don't want to say never, but but a lot of the guys that were coming into us for developmental uh were guys that we had never seen before. But we saw the potential. We saw the the uh talent and and I'll tell you a guy who who was really talented and I thought was really great was was Valvina, Sean Morley. He he was incredible. He looked the part he was the part. And uh Never in a million years would we guess that he would be given the the Val Venus gimmick, but never would we in a million years either think of Edge and Christian uh, working with Gangrel as well as they did. So no, I think Christian had enough size, you know, being six foot, not not that big, not too small, and uh, having the ability to, to to overcompensate for whatever lack of size he might have had for them back then. Um, Overwhelmed us, I guess. Uh, he he was one of the guys that we thought was talented, and there were a lot of talented guys uh, who got an opportunity back then. Some lasted, and some didn't. You know, I think uh, during that class too, we had an eighteen-year-old Teddy Hart.
1: Oh yeah, it. good call. Yeah, the youngest guy ever signed to WB, Yeah,
0: yeah, and and he had a ton of
1: potential, but
0: but there comes a time, but when when, when you have to uh know which road to go down and you know there's a fork in the road sometimes and and you might go this way when you know you're being led this way and and which force is stronger (laughs) you know are you going to be responsible and reliable are you going to go down the other path and happens to the best of us sometimes it just uh hmm
1: shoot there's still
0: time to change the road you're on yes quote unquote uh robert plant so
1: you know you said val Venus, and i yeah. thought you were going to say Brachus. yeah
0: well That's- i gotta tell you no, no no let me tell you i really thought brackish had, had potential when i when i started working with him uh but you know we we would go through three changes of shirts sometimes just sweating our ass off in that hot warehouse and just soaked and working and working and working. I'm the guy taking all the bumps, and and eventually, um, I, I was taking the bumps from Brockus. I was taking it from Mark, Mark Henry, and and then you had the Rock in there. So, not that anybody is trying to hurt anybody, myself, but you know, the only one who really had a clue was Rock, was Rock, because he. He had already been working in Memphis, and he came from a wrestling family. Mark had watched wrestling, but he was the strongest man in the world. He wasn't quite sure um, how much uh, torque or how much squeezing he really had to do, or how hard he really had to slam somebody. Uh, there's there's a method to the madness, and he wasn't he didn't understand it yet. And I'm taking all these bumps. Brockus was the same way he was a strong powerful guy and all he knew is he saw the moves he didn't know how much power went into that and and that's an art form that that is that's that's learning uh how to do what we do then the key is to do it without hurting yourself or your opponent so um when I was working with Brockus in the beginning I thought gosh he he really does have some potential here and then I got on the road with him and it's like oh my god um great guy. I enjoyed Akamal Burke. I really did. He was a great guy. But but he uh pretty much every match I worked with him, we had the the spot worked out, which is going to give me these clothes lines, and he knocked my head off. And I remember having the headaches, you know, during the whole week having to work with him. So um
1: yeah, anyway, you said Brock is, I said Brock is at one time too. As far as Christian I know somebody that very good friends with him, a wrestler. But I don't. It won't say who, just in case uh, he, he just you know so he doesn't get any heat or get any trouble. But he said that Christian sometimes a little bit of an attitude problem. Not in like a negative way, but in like a sarcastic kind of dry kind of way. But sometimes he could come off as like a dickhead, and like, you know, not anything too bad. But he can come off. Did did he kind of rub people the wrong way sometimes? Yeah, but.
0: I think during that time and especially in that that time frame um, he was finding his way and if you don't know how to take somebody's joking around like like I trust me I've been the victim of misrepresent being re- misrepresented just because I'm trying to uh, I have this sometimes uh, dry sense of humor or dry, um, it could be perceived as an attitude problem. Yes, sure could. But I, I always got along with Christian. But, I, yes, he he did, He did. could be a smartass like we all can and not mean anything by it. But at the same time, I believe guys like Christian and Edge at that time were trying to make their way. And that's sometimes how you have to do it. You have to kick the doors in and you have to – let everybody know that uh, you're not going to be pushed around, and I think they they came in with this great attitude. And once again, you you can you can say something and be misperceived or or, or misunderstood, I guess. And uh, it's not uncommon, so no no doubt in my mind. Yeah, he could he could be perceived as a dickhead sometimes, but but who couldn't?
1: This person said to me, "Have you ever seen Curb Your Enthusiasm?" I said, "Yes, of course, I love that show." And he's like, "Think of Larry David, that's Christian." Right. I did realize it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. but
0: but there again, that 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 was his personality. And and if you understood it, then you understood it. But but it could rub people wrong if they don't know him and, and it just takes a while, I think, to uh to let it sink in. And then again, you you don't understand which egos are banging up against each other and 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 grating and and you're not sure back then. And Christian and, and, again, some of the young guys who were coming up back then uh, were having to make their way the best way they, they thought they had to. And, um, yeah, Larry David, Kirby Enthusiasm, definitely great, great analogy, great comparison, no doubt
1: with christian do they ever tell you like okay we want this guy we think he's going to go to on the brew with gangrel or we're going to put him and edge together going to be called up or they don't even tell you stuff like that
0: well yeah we we did have a, uh, a meeting and i remember uh the uh oh, and it was either jr or i don't believe it was uh cornet or, or bruce but it had been jr somebody who came over to the uh uh warehouse and would watch practice sometimes and and say those two guys look great together and we got an idea for them i remember when they came over uh to tell the rock dwayne his name um you know and and call him rocky my via and and he didn't like it didn't (laughs) dig it at all and i said dude and and he asked me what i thought i said dude all, all you got to do is roll with it right now. It, it could change, and you can just move on. But right now, it, it's a start. And uh, going into Survivor Series, you know, as, as Rocky Maivia, the Chia Pet haircut, the smile, and all that stuff, it, it just worked out for the best because that he was learning how to feel it. And he knew how to feel it, and uh, um, obviously, he did okay.
1: Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, to absolutely. Say the least, yeah so with christian it's interesting to me because people always say always oh, edge is so much better than christian because you know obviously they're they're best friends and they came up together and they always get compared to each other edge is bigger probably the better mic skills the better presence but the, as far as in ring i think christian is a lot better than him wrestling wise do you agree like work rate wise as far as better quote-unquote matches do you think christian was the better wrestler wow
0: I don't know if I could say he was a better wrestler. Uh I don't know if that's if that's a fair assessment or not. I I thought Edge had the it factor, no doubt. Yeah. Christian has something and I know it's it, but he had he had confidence. He had ability. Um, he learned how to manipulate backstage as well. He was the NWA World Champion, and you don't get that. They don't just give it to you. You have to learn how to um, manipulate that as well. And he did, and that's a talent. So, uh, as far as in ring and being better, I, I think that's just a matter of opinion and taste. And I, I thought, I, I always liked Edge. Always thought Edge was uh, an incredible performer. He had the energy. Christian was a little more low key uh, and a little more technical, maybe. But I, I don't know that I would say better or or or. or Certainly, I wouldn't say worse, but I think it's it's just a matter of opinion, and and what you're what you're you're considering is what would he do better. I mean, was, were his matches more exciting? I don't know. I I, I don't see that, but I, I think that when when it came down to Edge and Christian, um, comparing the two, to me they they had similarities, and of course the differences were. When Edge came, made his entrance and it was uh, this this electric feel to it and Christian came out and was, was a little more deliberate, I guess, if that's the best way to describe it, I don't know. But um, as far as better, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say better. I would say maybe different, but not necessarily better.
1: So as they get into WWE, obviously the brood would be kind of their – way in the door then eventually speaking edge and christian would become i believe it was nine time tag team champions Whatever, i mean they won a lot of tag team gold TLC matches. I mean, that kind of really put them on the map and really got them over. Eventually, they would separate and kind of go into their own own way and it seemed like Edge was definitely the guy that they liked. I mean, he won the King of the Ring, he was winning world ti- you know, world titles first. He definitely was getting the push and Christian always seemed like that secondary guy. Did you think that was almost unfair that he they kind of should have been aligned equally getting the push or was that the right move going in the Edge direction? Well,
0: I I think when you have a tag team and I've heard this forever and I get it. I understand. Cause I've been in tag teams. And I, 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 I totally understand. But the idea when you put two guys together, uh, obviously you're, you're going to have a dominate dominant guy and a, and a secondary guy in the tag team you, more, more so than not, even though, It may not be apparent right off the bat. Eventually, it'll come out in the wash. And I think that's what happened with Edge and Christian. Um, Edge being the bigger of the two, uh, and I think a little more conducive to what they were looking for in in, in the sense that uh, he didn't have the same uh, Larry David sense of style in his delivery uh, that Christian did that could be the smallest thing backstage and that's why when I talk about what we do in the business is really what we do in the ring is that much of what the business is edge I might have been the more uh, likable maybe for lack of a better description or or just somebody that that they gravitated towards and Christian, Uh, was that snide, smart-ass, snarky guy. I don't know if that's the case or not. I'm just making an assumption here because if he was meant to be second fiddle, I don't think so. I think it's just something that organically came about and uh, Christian being, or Christian, Edge being the the bigger of the two uh, and maybe a little more um, adaptable, I, I, I would assume. That, that that's the way it happens and that's that is the way it happens more so than not uh you you have a tag team and you're thinking well you got knighthard and, and bret Hart okay <laughs> we're gonna elevate this guy and figure out what to do with this guy yeah same thing with with everything you can't it, there has to be change. There has to be some evolution. You know, you had Kane and Undertaker for a while, brothers of seduction. And, and eventually they're going to split off too. You know, are they, who who's the more dominating star there? I mean, I think you, you would agree. Undertaker and Kane are pretty well, in that same stratosphere, you know, put the parentheses around them. I think you're going to keep them there somewhere. Right? But but eventually, you know, Taker's going to go here and Kane will be here. Kane will be here and Taker will be in that mix still. You know, so same thing with Edge and Christian. After they got done with the brood, um, what are you going to do new with them? You know, Edge was going off this way and, and was making waves backstage too, I'm sure. And and Christian might have been perceived as, like you said, you know, you had a friend tell you he was was a little bit of a a dickhead sometimes. But once again, uh, that's perception. And he might have been perceived this way. Um, But he was still kept pretty good. You know, he really was. I don't think he ever went right to the bottom of the card right away. But he he wasn't uh, as featured. You're right. So
1: I, I don't know. He would eventually, years later, and you know, in the mid two thousands, become world champion in WWE, albeit for a very, very short period of time. Right. Which I thought was kind of long overdue, and almost like almost like a little pat on the back, like, "Hey, you've been a great hand for a while. You know, you're going to be world champion." And you mentioned for TNA, he was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion as well,
0: right? And and, and you're right. Yeah, I, I think it is just a, a pretty much tip of the hat saying, "Look, uh, you've earned it. You, you deserve it." And and that that was, of course. Someone, you, you look. You have to have people on your side. It doesn't just happen, and and you don't just go and say, "Hey, I want to be world champion." They go, "Oh, okay, great," because everybody wants to be world champion. Um, but he earned the way and earned the right to do that. And also, you had obviously people lobbying for him to be the champion. And uh, you have to have those everything lined up and prove that you can do it and and that's the way it happens so yeah he he did get his his nod he did get his uh um kudos if you will i guess uh to be the world champion wwe and nwa so
1: he did okay and now look at him—the quote-unquote to Tony Khan Hall of Fame-worthy Christian" as he debuted for AEW recently. Didn't really do anything for the ratings, but uh, he's still uh, making a bit of an impact in the Wednesday Night Wars, I guess. Uh, well, formerly Wednesday Night Wars. Right, right.
0: And and I do—I I agree. I agree that Christian is Hall of Fame worthy. No doubt about it. I think the Brood. I think as as a as a unit, as a group, I think the Brood is is certainly Hall of Fame worthy. I don't know of anybody who had uh, that. Well, the Undertaker had a cool entrance, but I think the Brood had 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 probably the second. yeah. Yeah, the theme song, the 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 whole thing again coming from the stage and the and the the vibe they had uh you know i think all the i, I certainly think the brood as a unit would, should go into the hall of fame
1: i feel like the brood is somewhat forgotten sometimes just because edge and christian did so much after it but i i love going back and watch some attitude era stuff and like seeing the brood. I was like, man they were pretty cool was it was it
0: wrestlemania or wherever i, I think donald trump was sitting and the brood came out and gangrel took the blood and spit it all over uh, oh we got on uh,
1: melania yeah was it
0: was it wrestlemania yeah.
1: or it mania for it was like a uh, monday night Tom, raw maybe
0: maybe it was a raw something like that but i, I just remember uh seeing that and doing that and, and that's that's uh, donald trump won't forget that And i don't think uh whoever he was with at that time was it uh i think it was bon- melania
1: i think melania
0: okay yeah. So she won't forget that either that time they went to the wrestling matches and, and this guy spit red stuff on them, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I I think the brood was certainly is overlooked a lot of times, but, uh, uh, no matter, look, no matter which way you, you slice it, Gangrel was, was, uh, the leader and the mentor to edge and Christian and both those guys learned a lot from, uh, from gang and when they split off i mean his influence i think was there for for quite
1: a while still today if you ask them absolutely now let's get into the plugs and talk about your book a pro wrestling curriculum advice suggestions and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level dr tom where can they get this awesome book what a
0: great book. You can get that at uh on, on that website. It's on the front page. You can order the book there. Also, you can check out our uh, next class which will be the summer class starting in July. We just started our uh, spring class this week and um, so we're, we're about to get in full gear uh, in, in these next couple weeks uh, to where everybody's uh, Starting to get on the uh, on the uh, move here, and we're, we're bumping, and we're going to be bumping nice. next week, and, and taking our time with it.
1: Also, go to prowrestlingtees.com Hit up the JPWA store and hit the Doctor Tom Pritchard store. Also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. You can follow Doctor Tom at Doctor Tom Pritchard. Back, Tom, What else do you got going on? Anything else?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, man. We got the uh, the gathering coming up. I believe in oh, July. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that is. It's in July, correct? You have the the date right there with you. Uh, there.
1: July twenty second, twenty third, and twenty fourth. I think. Let me just double check. July 22nd 23rd 24th yes yeah, Actually, I believe it might, it. Be, it might be part of the 25th as well because oh, okay. be Thursday Friday it. Saturday Sunday I
0: think I'm gonna be there uh Friday and Saturday for the gathering that's kind of cool and uh uh whatever else I got going on we'll, we'll have to wait and see
1: good stuff down at the gathering hopefully it goes you know no no issues or anything so hopefully it goes down without a hitch I think it'll
0: go down without a hitch this, this time. I mean, we missed everything last year, and I think people are looking forward to uh, uh, getting back to whatever sense of normalcy we can, which I think that's kind of been thrown out the window, but uh, we'll do
1: our best to to at least try. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. We'll see you right back here next week on Take Your School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Brother